Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. You can find us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod. And please head over to Facebook if you are a Facebook user and find the Thundercast page. Give it a like. Uh, We do our ticket giveaway posts on both platforms. So uh, following the directions on both platforms will give you twice as many entries into those ticket giveaways. And also, uh, by now, if you don't know, we've moved into the video podcasting format as well. You can head on over to the thundercast youtube channel give it a subscribe and uh, please like the videos it helps the algorithm and other herd fans trying to find our content and all that good stuff but uh you can uh, check us out on video format over on youtube as well so we appreciate any and all help we get in spreading the word of the thundercast and helping us find more herd fans and more herd fans finding us we've got a little bit of a switch up uh this week uh, second episode of the week, because the first one this week was just so long, we got really into the recap of the Coastal Carolina Marshall football game. But we've got another football game to talk about. We've got Old Dominion coming up this weekend, and we're going to deep dive into the Herd Men's basketball team kind of breakdown. It, the format will kind of follow uh, what we did with position group breakdowns with football, but we're going to just kind of do the whole team at one Uh, in one clip because, hey, man, the season's like right here. You know, we're going to start playing games next week. So this episode will not have a five things. It will not have an Around the Herd segment. And, in fact, we're so kind of backed up. We're going to be doing this over the course of two days. So if you're watching on YouTube, we're going to be different wearing different clothes. (laughs) But it is what it is. We just got to get this stuff done. So Russ is with me, and uh, we're going to talk about this old Dominion preview. The herd's going to head up to Norfolk this weekend and take on the Monarchs, who are sitting at three and five on the season, two and two in the Sunbelt Conference. The game is going down Saturday, November fifth at two p.m. and will be broadcast on ESPN Plus. Uh, Marshall is six and one all time against the Monarchs, one and one all time in Norfolk. The lone loss was back in that abysmal. 2016 season for the herd that saw us go three and nine that was a 38 to 14 loss by the herd other than that they've been able to take care of business against the monarchs this though is a different animal the uh old dominion monarchs have really finally gotten it together after a few years they didn't even play in the the covid year 2020 they took the whole season off and uh i mean head coach um Ricky Ronnie and that staff have really got something going up there at, at uh, uh, in Norfolk. So let's talk about this one, Russ. Uh, again, I'm going to lead with the daggone ESPN Power Index, who has just been basically bet the opposite way. You know, if, if you're following the uh, the the Power Index, but they like the herd in a road game in a basic coin flip type game. Fifty five point five percent chance to win for the herd. Uh, but like I said, they've lost every FBS game, which they've been favored by the power index. Marshall currently sets at minus three with an over under of 46 and a half in this game. Okay. We know there's a lot at stake right now. Uh, Marshall cannot really afford, really afford to take any more losses. And the games are not going to get really any easier. Old Dominion is the next one 
on the slate. We talked about how they put 49 points on the Coastal Carolina team in an away game in Conway, which helped us like our chances against Coastal. And then, well, what happened against Coastal happened. So now we have to face this vaunted passing attack and pretty decent running attack uh, of Old Dominion. So leading into this game, what do you think? What's the gut feeling in this one? Close game. Um, it's going to come down to uh, a touchdown or less. I kind of think less. So we'll get into it more when we get into the score predictions. But the 10,000 feet view looks like this one could go either way. And uh, looks like it's going to be close. That's my gut feeling. Yeah, it could go either way. Obviously, this doesn't look from the surface like it's going to be a blowout, like right off the bat. You're just thinking, Mm -hmm. going into the game, going, oh, my God. You know, one way or the other. You don't go into it thinking we're just going to blow Old Dominion out of the water, or you don't think, man, they're just going to boat race us. But that that 49-point performance against Coastal Carolina is – it has to have you thinking, okay, something could happen here. Because we yep. mentioned this game was not riddled with turnovers. You know, Old Dominion went out and rushed for over 300 yards in that game. Mm-hmm. Something that we thought Marshall was going to be able to do, maybe not go over 300 yards, but we thought they would definitely be able to effectively run against uh, Coastal. Now the early, you know, 21-point hole kind of put the skids on that a lot. But still, it was not a great rushing day for the Herd anyway in, in whatever they were able to do didn't break 100 yards as a team, and and that's just not Marshall football in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm with you. I think it'll be a little bit closer, but look, let's talk about the last three games as I've been doing in these previews here lately to give you a better snapshot of what these two teams are looking like. Old Dominion in their last three, just one and two. That lone win is against Coastal Carolina in very convincing fashion. Uh, they did have a 28-23 to 23 loss at home to Georgia Southern, and then they go on the road just last week and lose 31-17 to 17 to Georgia State. That game has a particular stat that I want to talk about later on when we talk about keys to victory. Uh, Old Dominion over the course of that last three games is scoring 29 points per game. Of course, that's offset a little bit by a 49-point outburst, but hey, you still put 49 on the board. They're allowing 26.6 points per game on defense over the last three. Uh, 416 total yards of offense gained versus 430 yards allowed on defense. Um, But here's the thing. They don't turn the ball over. Uh, Turnovers, 0.67 turnovers per game over that last three. That's one to put a star beside because Marshall kind of goes the other way with that. Uh, Marshall one and two also in their last three. Two home losses. Of course, the midweek against Louisiana, 23-13. to 13. Then a win on the road against a pretty good James Madison team that was, in fact, without starting quarterback Todd Santeo. But still, go on the road to James Madison, packed house, get a big win, 26-12. to 12. And then back home for a 24-13 to 13 loss of Coastal Carolina in a game that we both feel Marshall let slip away at several points in the game. Uh, over those last three, Marshall scoring just 17.3 points per game while allowing just under 20 at 19.6. Total yards of offense, 336 gained for the herd versus 283 yards allowed on defense. This herd defense just continues to play strong. Turnovers, though. Marshall is averaging two and a third turnovers per game over that last three. That's just not going to get it done, and that record is showing that it doesn't get done. So uh, let's me, let me move right on into some of these players to look out for, and then we'll get to these keys to victory because 
I don't know if you know this or not, and I doubt too many of our listeners are going to know this, but Old Dominion is boasting some really, really impressive players on offense and on defense. It starts, of course, as it always starts with the quarterback, number 11, Hayden Wolf, the six foot five, 235 pound sophomore, 155 out of 269 on the year for 2,005 yards. 14 touchdowns versus three interceptions. Another quarterback with an excellent interception to touchdown ratio that the herd's going to have to face. Uh, he's been sacked 22 times on the season, but six of those came last week against Georgia State. So that's a trend if you're a Marshall fan that you like to see. Uh, number two running back, Blake Watson, five foot nine, 195 pound junior, 109 carries for 675 yards on the season, 6.2 yards per carry. Pretty good clip. Uh, five touchdowns on the ground. Here's where it gets really impressive for Old Dominion. The passing game. And it's a name that a lot of Marshall fans will probably recognize. Uh, it's number zero wide receiver Ali Jennings III. He's been at Old Dominion for a couple of seasons now. But most folks or some folks will probably remember he transferred from up in Morgantown. So he's kind of been in around this area for quite a bit. Six foot two, 196 pound junior. 50 catches on the season for 929 yards, good for 18.6 yards per reception, nine touchdowns through the air. That is number two in the country in receiving yards. Let me say that again. Number two in the country in receiving yards. This whole season, we've been talking about how Kalen Laburn has been killing it, you know, top five, top two, whatever, rushing. Old Dominion boasts that through the air. And it's not just him. Also, number 18, wide receiver Javon Harvey, 5'11", 180-pound sophomore, 19 catches, 311 yards, 16.4 uh, yards per carry, and one touchdown. They have another third weapon. It's a tight end. He's been dinged up a little bit, but now he's back, and he's one that is a total mismatch. Uh, number 80, tight end Zach Kuntz, 6'8". Uh, 251 pound junior. What you're shaking your head? He uh was just ruled out. Oh, big news for the, for the rest of the year. Ooh, big news, big news. Yeah. I was looking at that profile earlier and it said active, so that's big news. No, he's he's out. We discussed it on the show last night. They confirmed it. He is out for the game, but also it was announced that he's out for the year. Wow, that is a big, big blow because that guy is a real mismatch. So uh, unfortunately, that's going to be one less weapon for the Monarchs offense, but that's a big plus for Marshall not having to stick a linebacker on a six foot eight tight end. So uh, I must say, we do wish uh, Zach a speedy recovery. I was kind of hoping you would line up in this one because you always want to see best versus best and see where you really are. But um, from a herd fan perspective, that's a big exhale not having them in that lineup. Overall, this old Dominion offense. Uh, just a 26.2% third down conversion rate, uh, but they do get fourth down conversions about 42% of the time. They average roughly 103 rushing yards per game, but they did go for 323 versus Coastal Carolina, where Coastal held uh, Marshall to just 87 yards. Time of possession, though, this is an area where Marshall be able might be able to make some ground. On average, for the season, Old Dominion's only averaging 24 minutes, 13 seconds a game. That's already a big disparity. And if you're going to play a big-time running team like Marshall, that could really swing out of uh, out of favor a lot like we saw Coastal Carolina, 35-25 to 25 versus the Herd. Defensively, linebacker, number 42, one of the finest in the country, Jason Henderson. I think he was just named a 
um, semifinalist for like the Bedneric Award, maybe one of those big time awards. Uh, six foot one, 225 pound sophomore. Get this 122 total tackles this season already. 41 of those solo, half a sack, and a pass defended. You can count on this dude being every freaking where the ball is. Number 13, safety, Terry Jones is six foot one, 187 pound sophomore. 52 total tackles, the second on the team. Look at that massive drop off, 70 tackle difference. 19 of those solo, one sack, a pass defended, an interception, and a forced fumble for Mr. Jones. And then uh, number one, safety, Arter. Oh gosh, Artarian. It's, it's either, I, I would say it's Artarian. Uh, Johnson, the five foot 11, 196 pound senior, 51 tackles, 31 solo, and two sacks. All in all, this old Dominion defense, 26 sacks as a team, seven interceptions, six forced fumbles, seven fumble recoveries. They do average about seven and a half penalties per game. We know that's not always on defense for an average penalty yardage of 68 yards, but they do allow, do allow an average of 186 rush yards per game on the season. Russ, uh, this is one of those couple of stats I'm talking about. The turnovers for the herd, the lack of turnovers for Old Dominion, the rushing yards they don't get, the time of possession. You can see where some of these things start to favor the herd. The thing that scares me the most is nobody has been able to stop Ollie Jennings. <laughs> nobody. Uh, the herd boasts a great secondary, but dang, that dude's going to be a rough one to try to cover. Um, not having Koontz will, will help, but uh, – what do you think, man? This this is going to be tough for the herd. It is. Uh, I've got a bunch of more stats and rankings and stuff like that that I'll get into in a minute. But uh, one thing that I want to say is they have had a rougher schedule, it looks like, uh, playing some bigger teams uh, early. Koontz has been out since the Liberty game. So yeah. he he's not played the last three games. And he was still doing, you know, a lot of work there out of that tight end position. So they have been without him these last three games. Well, but look, before you continue, the reason that I, that I uh, entered him into the players to look out for was because I was watching Huff's presser and he mentioned mm -hmm. that guy as a potential mismatch. So I thought, okay, maybe he's coming back. So I thought, well, we better talk about it. So if and, unless something has happened uh, last night, they said that he was ruled out. And uh, I believe Ronnie, uh, Ricky Ronnie had uh, uh, released that. And I think that was on Twitter today as well. That yeah, he I'm, is out. I'm, I'm not saying that uh, those guys are inaccurate. I'm just saying that's what caused me to write it down. I thought, oh, sure. gosh, if our head coach is talking about it, this, this yeah. might be a, he's maybe returning. But anyway, I think um, that it was up in the air when. Uh, when that presser was uh was recorded and yeah. it was after the fact it was uh he was ruled out for the rest of the year it's a tough break for him man he's a real yeah. weapon yeah all right so uh i'm looking at a bunch of different stats and rankings here and i want to go over some a lot of these you've already mentioned mm -hmm. and i want to start off with where it could be tough for marshall um Marshall in the red zone this year, we are 128th out of 131. 67.7% conversion to put any kind of points on the board. That's 21 out of 31. Um, we've talked about we've had three fumbles in the within the red zone. We've had two field goals that have been blocked. I think both of those were in the red zone, and that you know would shoot us up the rankings quite a bit, adding additional five scores. But we didn't, so you can't count it. We're 128th ODU defense in the red zone, 8th in the nation. 70% mm -hmm. 
conversion is all they're allowing points on. So if you get inside their 20, they're only giving up points seven out of 10 times. Now, if if you're not looking at these stats, you may say seven out of 10, 67.7%. I mean, that's really close, right? No, a lot of people, there is a big difference between those two. Uh, a lot of people are in that range. Um, I mean, because it's almost a chip shot field goal at that point to put some kind of points on the board. So they do a really good job at that. Uh, one of the others, you've already mentioned it, um, for sacks, we are 128th in the nation on that. We've given up 31. They are tied for eight with 26 sacks on the year. So that's something to watch as well. Uh, two big issues for us on offense is can we convert points when we need them inside the red zone and can we keep them off of our quarterback so just a couple of things to look at um we are actually doing very well in just about every other situation uh some of them um that jump out at you third down conversion percentage ODU is 129 out of 131, only getting 26% of their conversions on third down. Marshall remains number one in the country, only allowing 21.4% conversions. So if we can stop them on first down and second down from long plays and converting first downs and these rankings hold up, we should be able to do a lot about what we did at James Madison totally took over that game with the defense because they couldn't get a first down. Mm -hmm. They they couldn't win the field position, so we had a shorter field. Things like that happen. In this game, we could pull away, win by two scores, maybe more. Their running game, uh, they are only 116th in the nation at 103.2 yards per game. Marshall is sixth, uh, giving up only 87.1. Uh, we talked about, or you did, I should say, time of possession. They are 128th in the nation with 25, actually under 25 per game. Marshall is 33rd with 31 uh, minutes per game. They uh, have a lot more penalties than us. You know, we as fans talk about all the penalties and the untimely penalties and how they've killed us, but they're 109th in the nation, giving up uh, 540 yards to their opponent in in uh, penalties. And they're 108th in the nation, tied with 60 penalties in eight games. Mm -hmm. So one thing to note uh, when I look at these and, and seeing uh, things that are kind of weird or stand out or whatever is that uh, with scoring – we are 91st and they're 92nd. So right there, uh, we're 24.9 a game. They're 24.6 a game. The discrepancy is, though, they're giving up 27 points a game. We're only giving up the aforementioned, as you said, 17 and a half. So, yeah. but the thing with that is that's why I keep doing that. Uh, that's why I, I like to do the last three because, sure. you know, that number is a little higher for us. Right. Um, and, and offensively, scoring, it's lower. You know, right. and, and we're very much in transition right now. We don't know, you know, uh, we're, we're still in the mix. Three games ago, we had a different starting quarterback. Right. You know, so uh, who knows what we are, 
right now. <laughs> I and, mean, and I, I could have accurately, more accurately done a last two games for Marshall, and it would have probably given you a better snapshot. But, you know, what, what are you going to do? Yeah, and I, I totally get that. But I also think that uh, we have each individual game is not, even though I, I focus on these rankings and matchups and stuff like that, each individual game, as we saw with Louisiana, is its own animal. Of course. Right? And uh, that is why I like matchups and players and things like that. But not every player is going to take their average stats and have that exact game, right. you know? Um, so the last three games for us, I feel like each game has been just totally different because of various different scenarios uh, with how the game started against Coastal was totally different than how it ended. Uh, how uh, James Madison, how it started was different than how it ended. Having Cam Fancher in as the quarterback for the entirety of both games was totally different than the game before that against Louisiana. So all this stuff is just so different because things have been in flux. But I really like our matchup about being able to run the ball against them. I really like that um, we uh, we match up really well in several key things. I did not bring up that their total offense, and this is through all games, 96th overall, 356.5 yards per game. We're eighth in the country, giving up the 282.8. Mm-hmm. It seems like if we could stop their passing attack, that we will have a very – favorable matchup against it yeah and and i think that's really you know i try to zero in on a game within the game for each week and i Mm -hmm. really feel like that's where it is this time it's the marshall pass rush and the ability to get to that quarterback because let's face it their offense seems to be predicated on the successes of the pass game it just does now you go off for 300 yards against coastal carolina but you haven't done that consistently all year i mean 300 yards is a lot but you know it's not like they're you know, two fifty plus every week. You know that they're they're making their their waves. If your wide receiver is number two in the country in receiving yards, that's where you're making your waves. You know. Yeah. So it seems to me that this is a great time to have Owen Porter, Kobe Cumberlander, and those guys already be on a hot streak, and you know, really in that groove, and everybody's still healthy on that unit to be able to, you know, try to make life a little rougher for Mister Wolf. Mm-hmm. And if if that's the success for where Marshall can make some waves then then i like our chances because i like yeah. what we do I, I think we can do enough you know on offense i don't think we're going to need to score 40 points to win this game i don't feel like this is going to be a shootout game a lot yeah. of teams that are scoring a lot of points against marshall run into marshall and then they you know like man this is kind of tough sledding you know some teams will score points i mean who would have thought we'd be giving up three consecutive touchdown drives in the first quarter against coastal you don't think yeah. that'll happen but after that it's a completely different game. You know, yeah. we talked about that. So, right. So what do you, where do you think, let's talk about keys to victory. Okay. Um, you got, how many you got three. Okay. I've got four. I always try to have four. Um, okay. but before we get into that, let me say this. Did you watch the, the, the old dominion presser? Did you watch Huff's presser? No. Okay. I watched it yet. Or I listened to it on my way uh, home from work last night. And one of the big questions immediately was we saw a lot of guys get dinged up. You know, how how serious is this? Because that's concerning. You know, Isaiah Norman, Talit Keaton, you know, uh, laboring even to a certain degree. A uh, uh, couple other just wear and tear type things of eight games 
of the rigors of the season, you know? Mm -hmm. And he and Huff says, we feel good that if we had to play today, everybody that we had Saturday would be playing. Really? I thought, whoa, that's pretty wild, you know? Yeah, I expected uh, Talit Keaton to be out. I mean, he wouldn't, he didn't name anybody by name, but he said if we had to play, I feel like all 22 that trotted out Saturday could play today. And I thought, wow, okay, that makes me feel a heck of a lot better about, you know, what some of the things we might have been staring down the barrel of. Now, of course, mm-hmm. he never gets into specifics with injuries. Is he really right. You shouldn't. You know, I just don't yeah. feel like you should. But that statement spoke volumes to me. And um, it doesn't mean that they would be a necessarily 100% full go, but healthy enough to dress and contribute potentially. And he talked about, um, you know, we're at the point in the season anyway where he's been talking about the back end of your roster, ne- needing to bolster the back end of your roster because at its points in this season where those guys have to contribute more because of the nicks and dings of everybody else leading, you know, through eight games. So we're, I, I deduced that we are mostly healthy, that everybody is basically a go. Now I don't, I, I'm just going to use to I don't know this. I'm just, I, I don't know if that means to at 60% or 90%, you know, I mean, what's the minimum threshold to be able to dress and be out there. I don't right. know. I, that, that's not my call. I don't know that. But, um, you know, I still, again, I'm just, I'm just using him as an example, but I like a 75%, you know, Talit Keaton over a lot of guys, hundred percent, you know, cause he's just that good of an athlete. So I don't know where all these things lie, but that was just a very profound statement to me that he felt good that all 22 would be available, available. Let's put it that way. So I don't know if that changes anything for you or adds another key to victory to you or anything, but I wanted to get that out there. So what's your number one key to victory for the herd this week? Containing Ali Jennings, the third, I, I noticed I did not say stop Ali Jennings, the third. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's the same way that I never feel like other teams could stop Kalen Laburn. I feel like containing them and minimizing their impact on the game. That's the way I'm looking at it with Ali Jennings. So how we do that, I'm not to say, I don't know if it's going to be a double coverage because he's had multiple coverages and it has not stopped him so far. Um, Possibly it would be preventing him from getting the ball in the first place because their quarterback's laying on the ground. Yeah. No matter how it is, we need to control Ali Jennings the third and do not let him dominate uh, the offense. Yeah, that that I think that's that was going to be my number one key to victory, and then something else stuck out to me. But it is my number two, so I'm going to go straight to number two, and okay. then I'll go back to number one. I said that you have to force someone other than Ali Jennings to produce. And and that's right along with what you're saying. I don't think you're going to be able to stop him. You're not going to be able to shut him down. It's just not going to – nobody's been able to do. You know, you're talking about a 1,000-yard receiver nearly and probably will have, will eclipse that 1,000-yard mark on Saturday. You know, and I mean, he's so close to it already. What's it, 40 yards away he needs or something like that? So 80 yards maybe? I don't know. So if he has an average game, he's going to eclipse that total. No, um, he, uh, he only needs – He's got 929, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. 71 yards. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, I had 982 in my head. I just yeah. inverted. But, uh, so, so an average game is going to get him that plateau and even a below average game. Is below average game. Yeah. yeah. So you have to force somebody else to beat you if you're the Marshall defense without a doubt. Now, look, I'm going to circle back to my uh, number one key to victory real quick. 
Okay. And th- th- this to me became more glaring than stopping Ollie Jennings. Marshall has to start fast, period. With the last two games, James Madison and Coastal Carolina, Marshall gave up 33 points in the fourth quarter of both those games combined and three points total the remaining six quarters, seven quarters of those games, six quarters of those games. Starting slow sunk the herd against Coastal Carolina, period. There's no Mm. other way to say it. Um, Starting slow could have sunk Marshall because we were still, you know, it was a punt fest against James Madison until – Laburn busted the big one, and then, you know, we tacked on a little bit more, and then we started pacing away from them. Mm -hmm. So we can't do another slow starting first quarter, basically not trading punts or not doing anything until the second quarter. So that's the number one most important thing. If we can get off the skid of starting slow and just come out and start fast, score on that opening drive, get a three and out, get the ball back, some of the things that have been happening to us, coupled with the fact that they don't possess the ball very much anyway on average. I mean, you know, you, you may put them in a situation to where they look up and you're like, dang, it's the second quarter and we haven't done anything. You know, that's kind of what we need to have happen. So having said that, what's your second key to victory? The um, game within a game, as you like to say, between their defensive line and our offensive line. We said that we have given up 31 sacks. I have said before that sacks are not always – on the line. Uh, it might be on the running back, not picking up the the blitz. It might be on uh, a tight end or a, uh, a wide receiver, not chipping somebody. It might be on the quarterback for holding it too long or not doing what they need to do to roll out of the pocket. Uh, however, we've given up 31. The offensive line is tasked with the majority of preventing people from getting to the quarterback. They have had just these four people along the line. Denzel Lowry, a defensive tackle, four and a half sacks. Alonzo Ford Jr., defensive tackle, three and a half sacks. Deve Harris, defensive end, two and a half sacks. Chris Trinidad, defensive end, two and a half sacks. That's five plus eight, 13. Half of their sacks have come right off the defensive line. We have got to control the line of scrimmage and prevent those guys from slipping past us and getting to Cam Fancher and or Henry Columbia. We have got to keep them off of us. So that's an excellent point and one that I want to go back to because you get that type of production from your defensive line. You're getting that push, and all that really does is allow your all-world linebacker, Jason Henderson, to tally up 122 tackles because mm-hmm. he's not tasked with having to – you know, get to the quarterback or be a be a weapon in the pass rush game. You're getting that from your line. So if you can stifle that, you know, maybe they have to do something a little bit different. Maybe they have to try to bring Henderson a few more times, and and that opens things up a little bit in space. I mean, good Lord, having a 70-tackle drop-off between your number one and number two tacklers is amazing when you're talking through eight games, nine games. I mean, you got to do something to game plan that guy. And I believe that's an excellent point by – stifling what is a formidable pass rush from the defensive line. You force them to have to bring that guy on a blitz more often. Maybe he's not where he's supposed to be in some of these plays, and you can hit that intermediate route or, you know, that hole's a little bit bigger for Laburn or whoever. That's an excellent point and not one that I should have let slip by me. Uh, my number... I'm, I'm not I'm not 100% sure that they do much blitzing with him. No, and he's only may... got a half a sack on the season. Yeah, you know? I, th- I think he's more of the uh... – 
uh, sideline to sideline in on every kind of tackle situation. But uh, I I would be shocked if they, and maybe that's why they might break it out, but I would be shocked if they blitzed him, even if we are controlling their uh, defensive uh, line from getting to the quarterback. I, I just feel like it would come from other places, uh, maybe the outside linebackers or the safeties uh, way before uh, he would be there. I think that they are going to leave him with his bread and butter right there in the middle of the field to be in on every tackle. Yeah, I, I get that feeling very much as well. You know, the the lack of impact plays on down the stat line for uh, Mr. Henderson show that. I mean, half a sack and one pass defended, that's it. No interceptions, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, nothing. It's just all tackles. So, you know, it, that it, he's really good at what he does, and what he does is tackle the daggone football. So I wouldn't want to alter that either. I'm just saying, hopefully, <laughs> nothing's working, and they got to try to fix it on the fly. Sure. Uh, my number three key to victory is Kalen Laburn's got to get back on track, and this might be a great time to do it because if you'll recall – He's a seven-five-seven guy. That's where he's from. He's from up in the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. So this is a homecoming of sorts for him, you know. And we saw him have a great game against James Madison in the state of Virginia, and now he's going to return home to his actual home area. And I feel like there will probably be a big contingency of Kalen Labor fans at the game, and he's going to want to show out. He's off of a rough go, held under hundred yards for the first time all season. You know, all these streaks were broken for him, uh, slipped down to maybe, I don't know what he is now, top five was two, maybe th- five or six. I think he's five or six. So yeah. I feel like there's a little added motivation to go out and put some extra yardage on. We've been wondering, is this the time where, you know, will labor and eclipse that 200-yard mark in the season? And this feels like a good time that it may happen. You know, uh, Old Dominion allows a almost – 186, 87 yards per game on the ground anyway. Um, I don't know. It just kind of – I'm not saying he's going to do it. It just kind of has all the makings of maybe this is the one, you know. So, but anyway, you slice it, he's got to get back on track. We have to have Kalen Laburn back on track. All right, my third, and I actually just remembered I have a fourth. Oh, okay. uh, You know, but uh, my third – is uh strength versus strength we have got to win this in the passing game they are tied for 10th in the nation with only giving up three interceptions we are tied for sixth in the nation for having 12 interceptions we have got to get to this guy like we had talked about in coastal we have got to come away with an interception we didn't against coastal it was one of the one of the keys to victory there I think it's the same situation that would help quite a bit with field position. That would help quite a bit with keeping the ball out of uh, Ollie Jennings's hands. That to me has got we, this strength versus strength. They do not throw interceptions, but we get a lot of them. We need to have, I'm not saying like James Madison or, or something like that, but just one, just two can yeah. turn the tide in, uh, in what could be an otherwise close game. Yeah, you got to think this is probably going to be a, you know, near capacity crowd. Their stadium's not that big. I think it's maybe a little over 22K. 22 is what yeah. they said. So it'll be full, I would imagine. And uh, any little energy that they can get and any time you can silence that crowd is what you're going to want to do. So we've seen Marshall get interceptions in bunches. It's not like they go out and get one a game. It's like they either get none or they get three. 
you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So being able to nullify, negate, whatever you want to call, slow down this passing game to where they have to do something else that they don't usually do. Of course, that's going to help us, but I, I'm with you. I think you've got to get one, you know, you've at least one somehow. Um, I, I tend to want to see more of the sack fumble type thing, you know, because that means we're checking a couple of boxes. We're getting to the quarterback and we're creating a turnover. That's what I like to see. But, hey, I'll take all the turnovers you want to give me. I'll, I'll, I will not shake any of them down. Uh, my number four key to victory for the herd is I need to see the continued emergence of the Marshall passing attack. Uh, the guy, there were some, there were several guys that had decent games last week that we hadn't talked about a lot this year. Um, of course, Corey Gamage busts out for 187 yards, has a great day. Uh, I do need to see Corey hold on to the ball for me this time. We're not always going to get lucky enough to see uh, Talit Keaton be Johnny on the spot. And, you know, I understand you're trying to make a play and these things happen, but that's, you know, a couple weeks in a row now. He was going in for a touchdown, the ball gets punched out, big long gainer, the ball gets punched out. I mean, you know, we got to have a little bit more consistency and ball security if the passing game is also going to be effective. But if if Talik's back, great. He, we know what he can do for us. Charles Montgomery seems to be good for a couple of catches a game, moving the chains a couple of times. He just continues to emerge a little bit here and there. But a guy that really had a great game, uh, you, you know, the stat line didn't blow you away. E.J. Horton had a couple mm -hmm. of big plays in that game. And and he was a guy that I remember being really uh, high on when, when he was recruited. I think he came out of uh, – Palmetto Prep Academy down in South Carolina. And I was really excited when he committed because I thought he was a guy that could make some waves for us. And now if we're starting to see that, great, because this passing attack is evolving. Some more guys are starting to make their names known. Uh, so if we've got four, five, six decent options uh, to spread the ball around, that's what we need to see. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't think we're going to see another monumental passing yardage increase i mean what was it a, a buck something against old dominion and then 320 against uh coastal i don't think we're gonna see no 500 yard passing game or anything like that but a nice solid you know 60 65 percent completion percentage day 200 250 yards a touchdown or two no interceptions that's that's really what we we, we need to see from cam and i think we're getting to the point to where we're getting pretty pretty close with that um let me give you a stat, though. This is where I went. I told you I had a stat later for Keys to Victory. Let me tell you about this one. Uh, and tell me if you don't think this fits into the Cam Fancher-type wheelhouse, okay? Uh, I went back and was curious at how Georgia State was able to have this success against Old Dominion. Uh, turns out Georgia State quarterback Darren Granger in that game goes, 100, uh, goes 14 of 20 for 195 yards and a touchdown. 19 carries on the ground for 109 yards and a touchdown. Uh, no interceptions, and he even fumbled once. So Old Dominion allowed 233, 233 rush yards in that game to Georgia State, and they only had 16 rushing yards as a team. Now, granted, they were sacked six times. We know that accounts for some of that. But look at that disparity in rushing yards to Georgia State, who – you know, I'm sure they run the ball well, but it's not like we hear about them week in and week out about just – crushing the running game you know uh and just for context darren granger is a senior quarterback six foot four 195 we know cam is a redshirt freshman quarterback six foot one 195 but very much the dual threat type guy we've talked about cam and his running ability the passing game is evolving one to put a circle around maybe they have trouble with those mobile dual threat type quarterbacks 
funny you should mention that because <laughs> on, on the on the show last night when I talked about Cam Fancher, uh, and when I say on the show last night, I'm speaking of if you haven't listened, I uh, was on the ODU Monarchists uh, podcast, the Monarchist podcast, and uh, those guys said that uh, they struggle with mobile quarterbacks. It gives them fits, and their fans would not be pleased to hear that Cam Fancher is a very athletic mobile quarterback because we were talking about the sack disparity or discrepancy of, you know, they got a lot of them and we gave up a lot of them and that hopefully Cam would be able to roll out of that sort of thing, extend plays with his legs. And uh, they did not like to hear that. So spot on with that. They do struggle with it. Sometimes I get it right. What do you know? Oh, Sometimes first first time this year. Yeah, I, I promise this will be the only time <laughs> only, I get it right. <laughs> only time KD will be right on this show. Uh, all right, my fourth thing that I had forgotten about is the kicking game. And if you're going to have a close game, we have got to win the kicking game. I talk first about our guy, Reese Verhoff. He's 8 for 12 on the year. Two of those have been blocked. We... uh have three out of three in the twenties, four out of six in the thirties. And I believe both of the blocks came in the thirties and uh, one out of three in the forties. Maybe I'm misremembering and one of the blocks came in the forties, but I thought they were both in the thirties that they got blocked. Um, their guy, Ethan Sanchez is seven out of 10 and 24 out of 24 on extra points and two out of four in the twenties three out of three in the thirties, two out of three in the forties. And I asked about he had his long as 44. They said, he's got plenty of leg. It's kind of been, they haven't been in that situation where they need to go for it for a longer field goal. It would either be, Hey, we need to win the field position here. Let's go for a, a, a punt to pin them back near the goal line. Or it would be, we need to go for it because we're down field goal won't really do it we need to go for a touchdown so they said that he has plenty of leg um his two misses in the 20s were both because of the placement on the hash they were they said that it was so close like a 22 yarder or something like that that he didn't have a good angle and that they feel like they would now take a uh, delay of game get pushed back five yards and get a better angle and that he would probably be money so he sounds like a really good kicker. Again, we brought this up. Marshall has not had anyone miss an extra point or a field goal against them all year long. So weird. Great time to have that happen. <laughs> it's a great time for that train to come to a halt. Uh, but but every, in, in what could be a game that is tight, kind of yeah. the way that I think that it might be, um, we have got to – We've got to have all these points. We can't have a miss, and we hope that they have one. Yeah, another excellent point. Look, I don't, I don't want to expound on this, but I'm going to take it back to one more question that was asked during the uh, Huff press conference. And you remember in the Coastal recap, we talked about that fourth and three call for going forward. He addressed that and gave some context to why you do things. And that was worth hearing straight from the head coach's mouth. So if you folks go to YouTube, find the clips, uh, you know, whatever, and listen to that. Uh, it made a hell of a lot of sense to me as to why they did what they did. So that's, that's just food for thought since we were talking about the kicking game. Uh, I was glad that was addressed, and the uh, the answer was interesting to me of how they 
you know, decide in that moment. It wasn't like a predetermined thing. Well, we're definitely going for it or whatever. It was, it was pretty cool. So go listen to that and you'll see kind of where the thinking is. Um, but it, it made me feel a lot better about that call. I'll say, I mean, I saw it both ways anyway, but um, putting some context behind that or why they do what they do was, was uh, useful info for the average fan. I would imagine. Uh, how about a Thundercast player of the week, Russ? Who's your guy this week against Old Dominion? Before we get into that, can I tell you the uh, since we were talking about keys to victory, the the monarchists. Oh actually yeah, had, they, yeah, cool. Yeah, so uh, they don't have them in bullet uh, point form, you know, or numbers or whatever. So I'll just kind of read this off, and it's uh, one one of their co-hosts, and they said a lot of this on their show last night. But I just wanted to have since I was on their show, we couldn't have them on ours due to scheduling, but wanted to have a little bit of their flavor on here. So here's their keys to victory. See if this sounds a lot like <laughs> what you and I have been saying. It's important for us to get off to a fast start huh. and not mm -hmm. fall behind early. Okay. Establish our passing game early and open up the run with Blake Watson. Ollie Jennings has been a bit nicked up the last couple of games. So the continued emergence of our young receivers will be important. Mm, okay. Look for Javon Harvey and Jordan Bly. Uh, third downs will be key. They had that in all caps in this game. We have oftentimes given up too many third and longs to teams, and we haven't been spectacular on converting third downs. Now, guys, I don't want to <laughs> hold there. There's one more line, but just with the the haven't been spectacular. We're friends now. We're friendly. We've been on, uh, I've been on your show and everything, but haven't been spectacular is a little bit of an understatement when you're 128 out of 131. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to beat him no up shade. on that. No shade. No, not trying to beat him up. I'm just clarifying for our listeners of what I had mentioned earlier. They have struggled on, yeah. on third down, but I brought that up against, uh, um, the Louisiana thing and it did not turn out that way. That's it's right. not, it's just because the rankings go in this way does not mean this is how they are going to play out the game. Otherwise we wouldn't play these games. We would just say, uh, here's the matchup and here's who wins. Congratulations. Yeah. You guys win. Um, and then their, their final thing to clarify what they were talking about team who wins third down probably wins this game. So they they have a lot of the same keys to victory as we have uh, just in favor of them versus in favor from us. So it looks like both of us and them have a kind of a here's what to watch for. So listeners, yeah. I really want you to pay attention to some of these things that we're bringing up here because sounds like it should uh, should turn out that way. Yeah, it really does. It sounds like this game is going to revolve a lot around pressure, time of possession, turnovers or lack thereof, and converting on third down. That's kind of what this feels like in a nutshell, in a nutshell. So uh, have, we appreciate those guys for reaching out with some uh, keys to victory for the Monarchs. Uh, it just, yeah, it does suck that we couldn't put something together to where we could all be on the show together. But uh, I really dig collaborative podcasts with other other shows those are a lot of fun it's it's really yeah. nice to get a perspective firsthand account instead of us just speculating on what we think they may do um so it's a it's a bummer we couldn't make that happen but look let's let's have it uh, now who's your thundercast player of the week i'm gonna go with reese verhoff okay that, that's i said sweet. it's <laughs> i said it's gonna be a close game 
and I'm uh, I'm hoping that uh, that pays off due to the kicking game. Well, the first time this season since I was on the Kalen Laburn train that I'm off the Kalen Laburn train, uh, and not because he was held in check last week, because 16 carries versus 30 carries, if you extrapolate those numbers, he would have eclipsed 100 yards. And not because I think this is the week that he could go off, being it is a pseudo homecoming for him back in the 757. But I just am kind of optimistic and, and am enjoying what I'm seeing in this newfound downfield herd passing game. The matchup and the statistics that I gave you with Georgia State quarterback Darren Granger are popping out to me. And for the first time this season, my Thundercast player of the week is going to have to be Cam Fancher. I like he, the matchup. He was, my, he was my second, so I'm I'm right there with you. I like the matchup as long as Cam takes care of the football, much like he did against Coastal Carolina. He had a fumble that wasn't really – I mean, it was his fault, but it kind of wasn't his fault kind of deal. Um, as long as he doesn't go out and throw the ball to the other team and put the ball on the ground, I think he can have this similar of a game that Granger had and leading the herd to a potential big-time must-needed yeah, victory uh, to keep – any type of bowl hope alive. Russ, how about a score prediction for the Herd and the Monarchs? 24-20, good guys. I have us winning in less than less than a uh, uh, a touchdown. I've got it tight. Well, as do I. Uh, give me 27-23. to 23. The Herd gets it done in Norfolk, keeping those bowl hopes alive and notching a Sunbelt Conference East Division victory that we really got to have moving forward. Uh, that's that's basically it. Uh, this is a weird transition. Usually I'll say, Russ, let's take it around the herd. But uh, <laughs> coming up on the back half of this episode, we're going to deep dive into the Marshall basketball program, program and get you ready for what that roster looks like and what we could come to expect. So uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here in a second. But before I do that, Russ, if you've got any final words for Old Dominion Week, let's have them. And then uh, we'll transition. Yeah, I do. I want to throw out uh, uh, some praise to the Monarchists uh, because, as I mentioned to you right before, uh, they have uh, graciously opened up one of their tailgating spots. And much like uh, when I went to James Madison, you know, one of their fans uh, had reached out and said, hey, come tailgate with us. But I just want to say what they're doing over there was uh, really cool, and I appreciate what they were doing. So any of our fans that are making the trip, uh, hopefully you get a really good reception down there. I know we've probably been there a few times, but uh, it looks like uh, a very welcoming crew and should be a good game. Yeah, I would like to echo that. If you're on Twitter, go follow them at ODU Monarchists. Uh, you can't miss it. The logo is, you know, the lion with the crown. He's got a pair of sunglasses on. Listen to the show. Russ joined the show with him this week. Uh, I couldn't uh, make it due to scheduling conflicts, but uh, I'll listen to that show on the way to work today. Um, great guys. They're very much kind of like what we're trying to do here with the Herd fan base. They're trying to do that with the Old Dominion fan base. Um, they're trying to, you know, raise the perception and and the fandom at Old Dominion, just like we're trying to do here. So, Go give those guys a follow on Twitter. Uh, listen to the show this week. See if you agree with what they had to say. But we appreciate them extending the invite. At some point in the future, guys, we will return the favor. Uh, maybe even if it's during basketball season. Because we yeah. old, we know Old Dominion uh, fields a perennially strong basketball program. 
uh, basketball team. So if something works out, we'll try to get you on. We'll try to do something, man. We just need to try to do more of these collaborative uh, podcasts. And that show that I was on was not their quote unquote preview of their team. It was basically all about Marshall. They were interviewing me. So herd fans uh, don't feel like you have to sit through. It's a 40 minute show and it's all about basically what we have to say about Marshall. So go, go give it a listen. All right, that's it. That's the ODU preview. Both of us like the herd to go up to Norfolk, get business taken care of, and try to get something positive going for the big home stretch. Got 75 week coming up, and then you face the battle in the Peach State with uh, Georgia Southern and Georgia State to close out the season. But hang with us uh, on the other side of this break. We're going to give you the Marshall men's basketball breakdown as we head into the 2022-2023 season. And to do that... We're going to start it off with a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. Matt and Jason are experienced injury lawyers in Huntington who have helped many people just like you with claims throughout West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky. Car wrecks, truck wrecks, and injury claims aren't just something they do, it's what they do. Find them at 304carwreck.com. After a quick wardrobe change, Russ and I are back today to talk about the Marshall Thundering Herd men's basketball season. Uh, we're going to give you a roster breakdown, kind of familiarize you what's going on with the team this year versus last season. Several newcomers that are expected to be instant impact contributors. And I think contributors is really a term used lightly. I think these guys are going to be uh, leaned on heavily, both the two incoming freshmen and the transfer portal addition. And we're going to talk about all those guys. But I guess the best place to start is how it ended last season, Russ. 2021-2022, the overall record for the herd, 12-21, and 21, just 4-14 and 14 in Conference USA play. And I don't know that that's uh, going to raise any eyebrows for any herd fans or anybody in the Sun Belt that's looking at Marshall, going, "Oh, really? They were a twelve and twenty-one team last year. What the heck do we have to worry about?" Well, we'll talk about some of those reasons why you might need to pay a little bit more attention to herd basketball this season. But look, let's expound on that record just a little bit. Eight and nine at the Cam Henderson Center last year. That's not going to cut mm-hmm. it. Marshall, uh, over the past, I don't know, probably eight years, nine years, has was known in Conference USA as having a really, really live home crowd. They The cam provided a home court advantage for the herd. So to only go eight and nine at home, I don't think is going to cut it. You know, Marshall really needs to be able to protect the Cam Henderson Center, and, and opposing teams need to know that when they walk in there, it's going to be a rough, rowdy place to play, and you're going to have to bring your A game. Now, compounding that, the herd was just three and eleven on the road. So road woes that also ain't going to play. You know, you're going to have to be able to at least be, you would think, a 500 ball club on the road. And lastly, one and one on a neutral court. So lots of um, areas of progress that need to be made. We've talked earlier in earlier episodes this season about what the schedule looks like and how it could line up to be both a positive in the early going. And then once you get into the Sunbelt conference play could just be brutal, you know, for lack of a better term, Marshall has a, a, you know, big road swing and they don't really have an extended homestand like some of the other teams we've seen. 
So before we get into this herd breakdown, um, I don't really know what kind of thought to get from you here, um, but let's just give a you know, maybe just a quick projection of where you were as a fan as 2021-22 ended, and then maybe the level of positivity, maybe that's the term to use, the mm -hmm. level of positivity where you stand currently without anything but two exhibition games been played so far. So where does that land for you? I am uh, very much thinking this is going to be a much better season than last year. Uh, we unfortunately had some players, three to four of the starters playing out of position, moving up a, a, a spot. And that took people out of their wheelhouse that affected the game. We uh, made a splash by bringing in some very talented freshmen. We also have Wyatt Fricks, who had been here last year, but had to uh, uh, sit out the year with a, a knee injury, or at least most of the year. And uh, we brought in a shooter, Cam Kerfman, from the transfer portal. All of that means that people can play in their natural positions or where they benefit the team the most. And one of the things that we were drastically missing last year was a lights-out shooter from three. In this uh, particular offense, shooting is the only thing. Uh, <laughs> it's paramount, it's yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on some individuals and some stats. But um, with everyone playing out of position, it really affected shooting. It, it affected everything. And uh, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm very optimistic this year. Uh, definitely that we'll have a better year than last year. Uh, don't know. We'll get in more about the ceiling and that sort of thing later. Yeah, it would be um, a basic impossibility for us to sit here and pretend like we have learned every single thing about every single Sunbelt team because we haven't. You know, we we were really familiar with what Conference USA teams brought to the table because, man, we'd been in the conference for, you know, a long time, and you get used mm -hmm. to the ebbs and flows of those teams and who they're replacing and how they're looking from year to year. So this is a uncharted territory, like, for real, for Marshall. There's going to be a lot of new. So this is a great time to catch a lot of people by surprise and, you know, potentially field one of those teams that can make a big run. And you're right, in this D'Antoni offense, it's predicated on – you know, tempo and three-pointers and that type of thing. And when you're successful in those areas, Marshall seems to win a lot. And, you know, they've been missing that lights-out sniper shooter for several years from behind mm -hmm. the arc. You know, there's still some tremendously talented, talented players on the roster. But that dedicated, you know, three-point threat has been missing for a while, ever since really the, you know uh, – eligibility was exhausted for guys like Austin Loop, John Elmore, you know, of course, Stevie Browning was here with Elmore for a year or so. And then uh, two years. And then he uh, departed a year before John. And, you know, of course, players like CJ Burks, huge contributors. Uh, so we're looking to see if we can get back into that level of success. Now, John Elmore's just don't walk through the door, obviously, you know, all time leading scorers in a conference just don't come through the door every, every season. But I think we're we're a lot of folks have been saying the same thing you're saying. We played a lot of guys out of position, so being able to get those back guys back in their natural position should help the ebbs and flows of this team. You know, get really minimized to where the consistency is more in line. So, look, let's talk about a total roster breakdown this year. Currently on the herd zone roster, I counted 14 players remaining from 2021. This is a stat you really got to like. 11 of those 14 returned, so a really big nucleus of players. There's not a whole lot of 
you know, roster turnover there. There's not a lot of uh, learning the system. That's been minimized with 11 of 14 returning. Three players departed from 2021. Senior forward Michael Byers, senior forward Darius George, and sophomore guard forward Jeremy Dillon hit the portal. Uh, incoming freshman this year, two, uh, Jacob Connor and um, center Micah Hanlockton, the big seven-footer who's been – quite active in the two exhibition games uh, early mm -hmm. in the season. And then, of course, one you mentioned coming out of the transfer portal, sharpshooter, junior guard Camden Kerfman comes over from VMI. Uh, quick position roster breakdown. Now, we know this is very fluid when in a D'Antoni system, but as they are listed on the herd zone roster of those 14, you got six that are listed as dedicated guards. You got three that are listed as guards slash forwards, three that are listed as dedicated forwards, and two listed as dedicated centers. Um, so before I move any farther, I've got some great nuggets here to, to you know, build off of that a little bit as far as what's returning. Um, how I don't know how to I don't know how to poise this question. Uh, this is a lot of smaller type ball, right? A lot of guards, a lot of guard forward type stuff, which lends you to think that Marshall likes to run with speed and, and create a fast game pace. Um, do you think we'll see a different style? It's not, it's still the D'Antoni style, but do you think we'll see things look differently on the court this year versus last? Let's put it that way. 100% because last year was getting away from the D'Antoni system uh, several times. Um, it was um, it was just different with people out of position, for one, but it was also um, more post-play. Um, you're not going to see as much of that this year. I know that we're bringing in a seven-footer, uh, We but he would be replacing a seven-footer in mm -hmm. Goran Miladinovic, but uh, Goran is still going to play quite a bit. It just looks like, as we'll talk a little bit more, that Han Logden is going to uh, supplant him as a starter. But what we are getting is uh, more height and length that are uh, leaner and faster, I guess you would say. Um, so they can do that more. Like Han Logden is fine with moving out a little bit uh uh, onto the onto the wing or you know to the four or into the corner um that's more about what you're going to see with D'Antoni's uh system is at times all five facing the basket and uh more driving and penetrating and kicking it out for the corner threes and that sort of thing the bread and butter that you've come to know from that Mm -hmm. Fat, faster paced. We have uh, a lot of guards, but we also have some length coming in, which we'll talk again here in a minute that can play the guard uh, positions. So we can put a faster, shorter team on when we need to. We can put a taller, faster team on when we should, uh, when we need to. We should be able to put pretty much whatever we need to on the floor. We can also put, if we need to, you know, dominate the boards or you know we got a dominant post player we can put two seven footers in mm -hmm. and uh we've, we've got a lot more uh versatility this year i think that's going to be music to a lot of fans ears knowing that you can adjust your 
let's call it average team height for, for the five guys that are currently on the floor at any given time. So, yeah. and still not drop off that much in pace, you know, sure. you can, you can, you can be longer and faster or shorter and faster. Uh, so that's, that's, that's an interesting take. I think a lot of folks are kind of longing to get back. They want to see Dan Tony get back to that uh, high energy, fast paced style of basketball that we've come to love in the Cam Henderson Center. But let's talk about uh, of those 11 guys that are returning. Let's talk about what returns for Marshall just as a team category stat leader standpoint. Marshall's returning its top three players in all of these categories, points per game field goals made, rebounds, assists, steals, and minutes. The top three all return in those categories. The top two return in free throws made and blocked shots, and the top four players are returning in three-point field goals made. So a lot of production returns, and then when you start talking about instant impact freshmen and a sharpshooter from the portal, things could really start to get interesting here for Marshall. We've got a lot of players that we're going to touch on a bit today uh, of those 14 guys on the roster. We're going to do a deeper dive of the projected five that we think may trot out for game one. Of course, this is a very fluid thing. Um, and then we'll you know, we'll mention a few other things. We'll get some thoughts on you for some other guys and stuff like that. Um, but you got to start where you got to start, right? Who's the best player on the field or on the court for the herd has been for the past couple of years is Tavion Kenzie. He's national a nationally known player you know one of the uh 20 uh, sim, uh, uh watch list for the jerry west award we talked about earlier preseason sunbelt and first team all conference the 6'5 190 pound fifth year uh average 19.1 points per game for the herd 5.1 rebounds 4.2 assists in 36.9 minutes a game over 31 games so the herd played 32 or 33 last year kenzie played in 31 he was first team all conference USA and of course is already getting the love from the Sun Belt. Let's move it right along to that point guard, the sheriff, Andy Taylor, six foot three, 185 pound redshirt senior, 14.2 points per game for the herd last year, second leading score, 5.2 rebounds per game, 4.4 assists in 35.2 minutes per game over 33 games. One of two players that played in every game for Marshall last year. Uh, then fresh out of the portal, uh, Camden Kerfman, the six foot one, one hundred and eighty six pound shooter from VMI. He's a junior. 15, 15.7 points per game for VMI. Three point one rebounds, two point four assists in thirty five point four minutes per game. Over thirty two games at VMI. Get this though, shot thirty nine point four percent from three point range in twenty one twenty two. Right around that same average for his career, with. 117 made three-point shots last year. The highest for Marshall last year, Andy Taylor with 65. So that tells you right there, some added production from beyond the arc is here in Huntington. Third team all SBC preseason for Mr. Kerfman. I should have mentioned Andy Taylor was also preseason third team all conference. A little bit of love there for the herd in this brand new conference. We'll round it out with two guys, and then I'll get your thoughts on all these guys. Um, Obina and Chili Killen, six foot eight, 220 pound junior forward, third leading score for the herd last year, was the leading rebounder and the leading shot blocker. 11.6 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, 2.6 blocks per game. He accounted for 54% of the team's blocks last year. That is a huge 
junk. And now, while I hope that continues, I hope the overall number of blocks just rises in general with some of these guys we brought in. Uh, 27.4 minutes per game in 33 games, the other guy to play in every game for the herd last year. And last one, we're going to talk about one of the incoming freshmen. You've mentioned him several times already, the seven-footer, Micah Hanlogton, seven-foot-one, 190-pound. That, that weight is from uh, his rival's profile. Marshall doesn't have one listed on herd zone. Freshman, uh, in high school, averaged 17 points per game, 13 rebounds per game, and four blocks as a senior at Southlake Christian Academy in North Carolina. Russ, this is shaping up on paper to be a really nice-looking starting five. So start where you want to start and run through your thought process how you see fit with these guys. This is Tavion Kinsey's team, but the offense runs through Andy Taylor. Uh, Andy will be bringing the ball at the court a whole lot. Um we we've talked you and I, uh, but so for everyone else's benefit, this is a nearly positionless offense. Uh, they have a more defined position on defense than they do, uh, especially if they're in a zone or or something, and then it's matchups and man to man. But on offense, you can expect several different people to bring the ball up the court when they need to. Predominantly, that's going to be Andy Taylor. He's going to make this uh, offense run and look for him to do a lot more of penetrating and creating shots for other people this year that he wasn't really able to do as much last year. Kenzie will be more uh, the shooting guard type that he benefits from the most, but you'll see him playing what some people would call a three, which in some systems is a small forward, but he'll be the shooting guard on one side and, uh, He'll have more of that mid-range jumper that he's been doing so well with, and he'll have more attempts to drive to the basket and get to the free throw line and, again, kick it out to other people. On the other side, you've got your traditional shooting guard, the guy that will have 90% of his shots be from behind the arc, and that's Kerfman, the transfer. Um He will also be handling the ball up top sometimes while – uh, Kenzie and uh, uh, Taylor are moving around. Uh, so he may be bringing the ball at the court some. He was listed as a point guard at times on the roster at VMI. Um, you will also see some of the forwards playing up top from time to time. One of those is coming off the bench, and that's going to be Jacob Connor, and we'll talk more about him later. Focusing only on the projected five you're going to have obina at uh the four position instead of playing out of position at the five and you're going to have Ann logton uh starting and playing what most would consider a center but you know he's a forward center more of a power forward slash center in this offense he's still going to be out in the corner occasionally coming up to the high post that sort of thing. He's not going to be that anchor like you would see with um, Shaquille O'Neal, somebody like that, where they're just always going to be on the low post with their back to the basket. Yeah. Um, really, truly being able to have those guys and the ones coming off the bench not playing out of position. We cannot stress that enough, what it's going to do for this offense. Yeah, that, of course, seems to be a recurring theme in in your um, takes so far and, and it mm-hmm. just can't be explained and it just can't be driven home enough you know that was a huge reason of why things shook out the way they shook out last year 
So to be able to plug in some of those players that better fit the system that Dan likes to run uh, should pay instant dividends. I mean, anytime you can bring in a guy, period, that is, you know, 40% career three-point shooter. It's not like he was cold and then just caught fire last year. This is a basic a, a career number, that 40%, 39.5% 3-point percentage. Uh, you're going to see some increased point production, hopefully. And that's obviously, I mean, I hate to sound Sonny Randallish, but you're going to have to score points if you expect to win games, right? I mean, that's just what it, it's predicated on here. Uh, let's did, talk about did, did Sonny come up? Did he uh... <laughs> probably <laughs> let's uh, I... let's talk about a few other guys. If you, if you've got no other notes on these five. Uh, well, I just want to bring up a little bit about playing out of position. And uh, you had mentioned the blocks for uh, Obina and Achille Killen. He was leading the nation early in the season last mm -hmm. year. And then he was number two in the nation for a while. And I just want to go around here and show you a little bit about what this means. First game, four blocks. Second game, five blocks. Third game, three blocks. Next two games, he had 10 and eight. And then after that, three. Then he didn't really play much in that next game. Um, he had a, a eight-minute uh, was all he played. And then coming back off of that, he had four, seven, and six, two, three, and five. Then after that, he did have some games where it spiked back up, but it kind of fell off because he was playing out of position himself. Um, I feel like opening him up to be more of that power forward instead of having to play on the blocks down low and guarding the center, um, mm. it's going to be different. Now, he was also tasked with going out and shooting more from the wing. He had a, a more threes last year by far than he had the year before. All these guys were playing out of position, but it wasn't just that they were playing up a position. Sometimes they had to go play out of position. It's uh, The roster is better top to bottom now, and these five in particular should be a formidable starting five. Yeah, you're gonna, I, would, you're, I would tend to agree with that. You're going to see a lot of, which is Marshall's bread and butter, uh, 32 plus minutes out of several of these starters. Uh, historically in D'Antoni's system, we have had some of those guys that played pretty much every minute of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, Taylor and Kinsey will be in unless there's foul trouble for most of the game. If you look at uh, Kerfman's stats at VMI, he was over 32 minutes. Uh, Obina, he played several times last year it was kind of weird uh without being in foul trouble he played less than half of the game and i don't know if it was because of ineffectiveness and in matchups because again playing out of position but um that really hurt the team and um i look for him to be 25 plus to 30 minutes a game and then you will see hand logton as a freshman probably getting spelled quite a bit by not only Goran Miladinovic, but also uh, when they go without a quote-unquote center and they have Obina and Fricks or Obina and Connor or Obina and Marco, mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of different people that they can put in in these different positions. A lot of flexing back and forth from positions. And that may sound counterintuitive to what I just said, that they played out of position last year. But there was not the um, fluidity that they are blessed with this year because of the additional three pieces that were brought on. 
Well, it, we, there, I told you they're the top three in minutes return. And you mentioned Kirkman, yeah. of course, I said as well, he's over 30 minutes at VMI. So you're talking about a guy who's already used to putting in the work game in and game out. So that's mm -hmm. you're going to have four guys that average over 27 minutes a game already that are kind of and you expect to see an increased role for Obina versus what he had last year. And uh, it should, you know, sliding him back to a natural position to, or well, I, I, you got to do finger quotes with that natural position, but an area where his uh, physical assets and uh, talents can be better utilized, I guess is a better way to say it will only be better. You know, all these guys being able to take advantage of having each other on the roster it's where the, you know, the, the sum is better than the parts type deal. Uh, but look, there's some other guys that we expect to be contributors. They were contributors last year. And um, mm -hmm. as these roles increase for these projected starting five, we expect to see uh, some of these other guys benefit from, you know, everyone kind of sliding back into the, where they can be the most effective. And we're going to talk about four guys and then we'll kind of uh, talk about that remaining uh freshman uh jacob connor there at the end but just some quick numbers right some guys you expect to see coming off the bench uh relatively soon or you know definitely throughout the course of most every game if not the majority of games uh we're going to start with the six foot four junior guard of course david early average five points for the herd last year uh three and a half rebounds and 1.4 assists in 18 minutes for the, the herd in 32 games so uh, a big contributor, you know, 18 minutes a game and 32 games is, is quite a bit. Actually, all these guys we're going to talk about, uh, the lowest was uh, 20, 27 games. So all these guys are getting off the bench and into the game and, and contributing in some uh, capacity. Of course, you mentioned earlier the other seven-footer senior center, Goran Miladinovic, 4.4 uh, points in 14.9 uh, minutes over 29 games for the herd last year. And then uh, a couple of guards slash forwards we'll talk about. Six foot seven senior Marco Saranac, four points in 14 minutes over 28 games. And six foot nine, a sophomore, uh, Americ Toussaint, 3.1 points over 10 minutes through 27 games last year. Now um, we'll get to talk about this uh, third newcomer to the herd. Uh, you can also talk about these other four guys if you'd like to as we get into that. Uh, six foot nine freshman shooter. I don't know. I don't want to just designate him a shooter, but he can shoot the ball. Let's put it that way. Six foot nine, Jacob Connor averaged uh, 16 points and nine rebounds and four blocks at Archbishop Alter High School in Dayton last year. Comes over to the herd and is expected to be with Hanlogden an instant impact contributor and player for the herd. So, what about these other five guys that we've talked about here? Well, so. Lastly, you had mentioned Connor, and he's going to come in and give us that length that I mentioned. He can play point guard at mm -hmm. six foot nine. Uh, he is listed as a guard forward. He would be that uh, ultimate flex player for us that can handle when he needs to, bring up, up when he needs to. Uh, think of the matchups if you have um, a 5'11 to six foot guard uh, in. Connor is the guy that, you know, is guarding him or has to guard that guy has to guard Connor. Uh, it may not play out with something like that, but I've seen that sort of thing happen. Uh, it uh, is going to be 
a big impact, I think, uh, the flexibility that he gives us, but he can handle the rock. He can drive to the basket. Uh, he can shoot. Uh, he should be able to be adequate enough on rebounding at six foot nine, especially in, at the guard position mm-hmm. uh, when he's doing that. Uh, we have the ability to put in at certain times, six, nine, six, five, uh, six, eight, seven, one, or seven foot and seven foot. So, we have uh, we have a tall lineup at times, and Connor is going to be able to help with that quite a bit. Yeah, uh, Marco Serenich, uh at times last year he was just so lights out, best shooter on the team that we had. Uh, we should be able to sub him in and allow him to heat things up. Maybe he gets called the microwave on basketball, mm. uh, but. Uh, when he came in sometimes last year, he just kind of took over the game being dead on from three. And it was a a huge leap forward for him last year in that level. Uh, What we need is more consistency as far as being able to do that game in game out. (laughs) Sorry. You said what we need is, and you know exactly where my mind went (laughs) with some paying gigs. (laughs) What we need that, is paying gigs. That that is what we need is some paying gigs. <laughs> Don't got no microphone, no speaker stand. <laughs> <I did. laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, uh David Early uh has shown at times too that he can come in and be that spark off the bench and take over games. Uh again, we need consistency out of him. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was uh off night shooting for him, nights that he was on, he was on. Um, we're going to see Kyle Braun in quite a bit. Uh, he will come in and be, uh, sometimes on the court with Andy Taylor, sometimes in for Andy Taylor, but he'll bring the ball up quite a bit. Uh, he will be tasked with doing more driving to the basket than he did last year. He did a lot of shooting from behind the arc. Um, Americ Toussaint, uh, we we have to mention that Chase McKee would be in the mix here, but he has an injury, and I don't know when he'll come back, if he will be able to come back this year. I can't remember if he's out for the year, but it's it's definitely going to be out for some time. Uh, but Toussaint comes in. He's a very tall player that can play in the post and get some boards. Um, who else did you mention that I need to mention? I don't know. I mentioned you've talked about all the other guys. That okay. I- that that we brought up was just five other and and you threw in a, a, a few more too i didn't i didn't speak about wyatt fricks that's who i did oh yeah i didn't bring i didn't talk about him at all i i knew i was missing someone so uh wyatt had an injury last year and he played very little um and going into the season he had that kind of buzz about him that uh connor and han logden have that he could come in and be a contributor right away because of his height he was still a, a good shooter from the outside, that sort of thing. Um, last year's team had, you know, famously the two grad transfers leaving and, and Williams and West. And then uh, Fricks went down right before the uh, season started. And that kind of caused everybody to have to shift around and it really hurt the team. So uh, having Fricks back, and having these two incoming freshmen that we've already talked about, everyone uh, should be able to not only have a little more depth to the roster, but should be able to play at their natural positions and do more about what would make this offense run more. 
it's going to be key, like I said, running through Andy Taylor and the shooting of Cam Kerfman. Yeah, it, and and of course the sensational ability and the overall just play of of a guy like Tavion Kenzie who can take yeah. over a game. He has he has the ability to take over a game, and anytime you have a guy that can do that, take over any game, you've got a chance to win. I I, I liken that very much to having you know that that established quarterback that can give you a chance to win any game and anytime you have a guy like Tavion Kenzie on your team you're never out of any game because he can catch fire and he's just got more pieces around him now that uh, he doesn't have to do it alone it's not like he had to do it alone before but even more of the load gets to come off of his shoulders for this this season yeah last year they uh, seemed to go in a long spell of trying to run the offense through him to where he was doing too much and they were just able to key on him, uh, you know, with defensive schemes and and double teams uh, when he was trying to spin uh, to the basket this year, he should not have that. He should be able to go back to do what he was doing his best the, the year before, but still with all that last year, he averaged over 19 points and, yep absolutely took over many a game he yeah. was sometimes our only score for like 10 straight points because he went down and just took over and said i'm i'm gonna score and you can't stop me yeah all of these roadblocks thrown at him and still ends up w- with just over 19 points a game like you mentioned and as the first team all conference usa performer mm-hmm. if we had to do uh some strengths and weaknesses here if you've got uh you know a couple bullet points things uh, yep. what, do you, what do you think are some overall strengths of this team as you look at it before a game has been played? Height and versatility uh, is definitely, which we've mentioned, you've heard me mention that now about five times, but yep. those are two extreme strengths that we're going to have. Uh, the ability to change up our roster uh, during the game, uh, but also different starting matchups, uh, in conference when we match up different ways with different teams, we'll have the versatility to do that. Uh, the overall height, I can remember not too long ago when we had, you know, 5'10 and 5'11 at, at your two guard positions and, you know, 6'3 at a, a forward, and we don't have that anymore. We've mm-hmm. got height at just about every position. Um, those are two overwhelming strengths, and the shooting – I would like to say should be a strength uh, because we can shoot the three from the traditional four position, uh, even the traditional five position, but shooting can go hot and shooting can go cold. So that remains to be seen with me. So I can't really put it as a strength, but I'm not going to throw it down as a weakness either. Um, I think you and I are seeing a lot of the same things because I look at, the potential, I guess I should say potential. The strengths, a lot of the strengths that I put here are based on potential, right? Mm-hmm. And my number one was added three-point shooting capability because that's mm-hmm. what it's predicated on here in Huntington. Yeah. You know, that's how we win games, and when we're hot, we're hot. And, you know, that's what drove Marshall to the NCAA tournament several years back for the first time in 31 years, and we need to, you know, make that a much shorter drought. We can't go another 31 years. You know, we want to see that back this year. Uh, especially in a new conference, you really want to come in and try to make some noise. So the addition of, you know, potential three-point output is massive for this team. Uh, and one one other thing I want to talk about real quick, it popped into my head when you were talking about being able to change our lineup versus what other teams are doing. 
I like to think that maybe that's going to go a little bit in our favor as well. And other teams will be forced to match up better with what Marshall is trying to do because of the tempo we'll try to play. And, you know, the added, um, added, added, uh, offensive production that we're hoping to see here. So we should be able to throw other teams that curveball and make them adjust to what we're doing, which is another factor into potential overall team success. Uh, I like the addition of, you know, size in both the front court and the back court. It, it's always nice when you've got, you know, just taller guys with the same ability. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is basketball after all that only really helps. The, the my last, uh, Strength is the potential for added instant impact from the portal and via recruiting. That is, you know, everything we've talked about has been heavily around being out of position and being mm -hmm. able to get back into position. And the reason that a lot of that is happening is for that reason right there, the instant impact ability from uh, the uh, high school recruiting and via the portal. If you don't have any other strengths you'd like to talk about where do you see as some potential weaknesses in this team rebounding just because of the system um has been a problem just about every year now again we've got a lot more size uh and height but what we have had is sometimes thinner bodies because you want to have these guys that can play out on the wing and be this versatile and everything so you don't have those Big, stronger types. Now, Obina has noticeably gotten thicker in uh, in his upper body and arms, just me running into him at the um, uh, Hoops, in, Hoops in Huntington event mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it was noticeable right away. Um, we have got to not get dominated on the boards. And sometimes when you have four, if not five guys on the perimeter and shooting, we don't have anyone down low already in in rebounding position so that weakness will have to be addressed and hopefully we can have people following their shots or following other shots to try to crash the boards instead of getting back uh on defense uh, a little prematurely that's been one of the weaknesses that we have seen quite a bit another weakness could be that uh post player that at times has dominated us think of Kenny Lofton uh, Jr. last year. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm blanking on the guy from, this has been quite a few years back. Was it Underwood that uh, uh, I think at Louisiana Tech was, uh, was so I, good? I don't know. I thought maybe you were going to say Lofton and Jamari and Sharp, the big seven-footer from Western. No, we, we, we definitely struggled with him, but this was about, eight years ago or something mm -hmm. we had the, we had the same situation where we just could not stop this guy come tournament time we couldn't stop him when we played at home we couldn't stop him at our place and it's because we didn't have that natural big post defender that was able to bang down low with uh someone of size mm -hmm. so that is also uh, a weakness of uh, ours if we have any dominant post play opponents they might be able to beat us on the boards and beat us uh with uh buckets in the paint well not surprisingly uh, my first weakness at this team is the very same thing i still think we do have the potential to be outmanned down low and for those very same reasons we have thinner bodies that are built to do different things in for our team you know we're not built to 
you know, pass the ball down low and, and cherry pick in a more traditional, what some would think a traditional style of basketball offense. So of course that comes into play in rebounding as well. And to go along with that, I think Marshall still may be susceptible to cold streaks behind the arc, you know, because we will rely so heavily on um, the three ball to, you know, remain competitive or win games. And those two just kind of go hand in hand, right? If you're not making those threes, then they're coming off of the rim and you're going to have to rebound. And if you can't rebound, then, well, you see how this starts trending in the wrong direction really, really quickly. But yeah. conversely, if you're hitting those threes, you ain't got to rebound them. So it's 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 the double-edged sword of the Dan Tony offense. You know, we're built for speed and long-distance shooting, but if you're not hitting that long-distance shot, then you're not definitely not usually manned, equipped properly to crash the boards, as as you say, to get that second and potential third shot. Uh, let's talk about some Russ Livingood accolades here. We did this with the football position group breakdowns, and we're going to do it here too. Uh, who's the player that you're most excited to see this season for the herd? You know, it's always Kenzie just because of how dynamic that he is, uh, exceptional athlete and leaper and that sort of thing. Uh, also a personal favorite of mine just because of the way he carries himself. Um, but I am really, really excited to see Jacob Connor, who will not start. Maybe he starts at some point through the year, but I am really looking forward to seeing what he adds. I truly believe with his height and his flexibility that he is one to watch this year. And even though he might not be the MVP and he might not be the most exciting person on the court, I still want to see what he brings to this team. So that is what I'm most excited to see. I think I'm most excited to see, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I think I'm most excited to see if uh, Cam Kerfman lives up to the hype mm -hmm. and, and brings what he has been bringing to VMI, if he can bring that to Huntington, West Virginia, because that's what we need. We need a shooter. We need a sharpshooter and a sniper. So I'm most excited to see if he's able to bring that 40% career three-point percentage to Huntington and have it ring true for, you know, at least one year, maybe two, if he's going to be here for multiple years. Uh, who do you think's the hardest to replace from the three guys that departed last year? I would have to say George. Um he seemed like I know that he was here for five years uh, because of the COVID uh, thing. And so was, uh, you know, or Byers was here for maybe five years. Uh, Byers had that ability to take over the game at times. Uh, he was a, a matchup nightmare for a lot of people at 610 uh, and being able to shoot from half court. Uh, but he also had some situations where if he was going bad, it got really bad for him mm -hmm. and, you know, a turnover here or there, and it seemed to affect his shooting. And then uh, he would shoot his way out of being uh, um, in a slump. And when you try to shoot your way out of a slump, even though that's what you got to do, sometimes you're still in that slump for a while. So out of those two, I would say that George was by far, I mean, uh, the athleticism that he brought, the hustle that he brought, crashing the boards, uh, I think he's the toughest one. Okay, I would tend to agree with that for the most of the exact points that you said uh, to the degree that I don't need to expound on it. I'm just in almost total agreement. Who do you think is going to be the breakout player for the herd in 2022, 2023? 
I think that it may be uh, Connor. I I think that, uh, you know, it's going to be hard for these returning guys to break out much more than what they've done. Correct. So it, it would be up to a newcomer. Um, so you've got Han Logton or Connor or kind of the front runners. Now, other people can elevate their game quite a bit. Uh, Kerfman is new to the team. He's not a returning starter, but, you know, do you call him a breakout if he's producing what he did at VMI yeah. shooting 40 some? I don't know that I would call him a breakout because it's kind of expected because he's already been playing. College yeah, that's ball. why you, that's why you went and got him. <laughs> uh, but I could see Andy Taylor up his game and get an additional six points a game. And, you know, with all the different weapons that we have now and, uh, and him being able to come into his own and, and everything. But, I think that uh, I'm going to go with Connor to be that breakout player because of his versatility, and uh, I he has a lot of athletic ability. I can tell that you're really excited about Jacob Connor, and this is kind of wild to me. Even though we've talked about him probably starting at some point in some games throughout the season, but I do agree with you that it's got to be one of the two newcomers via high school recruiting. And I just happen to go the other way. I'm I'm going to take uh, Han Logden since he's going to probably get the nod from the beginning of the season to be that five and have the ability to do something impactful from the get-go. Now that doesn't mean that 30 seconds into game one in the season, they, uh, Connor doesn't come in, but you know, right. I'm going to go with Han Logden because it's a down low position of of a position of need that we haven't seen dominated or even, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say dominant. How do you want to say it? Um, I don't even, I don't know how to say it without it coming out wrong. You know, right. but, yeah. but we just haven't had a true center that's been a formidable weapon. You know, we've had guys like Obina that have played the position well out of position. But to have a seven-footer down there with all the abilities and talents that uh, Micah has uh, could be huge for the overall successes of this team and and sure. providing that rebounder that we need when you couple him with Obena and providing second and third shots to those sharpshooters should we get into a cold slump. So I think he's going to be my breakout player this year. Uh, who, do you, who do you have as your MVP? I think it's going to have to be Kenzie. Um Someone may score more points than him. Someone may have more assists than him. Someone may have more rebounds than him. But his game top to bottom in those three categories is exemplary, and it's been that way definitely for the past three years. But even when he played as a true freshman, and they had to play him um, kind of a few games in, they started playing at the power forward position because you, you either sit behind the guards or you find a place for this guy to play. And they did, and they put him in at uh, the power forward position, and he he even did his job then. Uh, he's good on defense. Uh, he's been here the longest out of everybody. He's been the quote-unquote face of the basketball team for a while. All that rolls up to he's your MVP. Yeah, and I tend to agree with that too for all the reasons you just said. And if we have to put – if we have to do this, which we don't, but, you know, when you're talking about – Division one college basketball, perennial first team all conference players, you start projecting to the next level. And mm -hmm. if you have to put your finger on one guy on Marshall's roster who's the most NBA ready or has the best opportunity to get drafted or land somewhere, it's Tavion Kinsey, right? Yeah. So he has to be your MVP this year. Uh, and it doesn't matter if he leads the team in scoring or rebounding or steals or assists or anything. But when the dust settles and you look at all the numbers over the course of the season, 
he may rank in the top two of all of those categories or the top three, but not lead in any of them and still be the most important player because he attracts so much attention on defense that he's opening up opportunities for other players. Uh, Let's have this one now. We did the hot take for the football program position groups, and now we're going to do it for this basketball team. Uh, what do you have as a hot take? I probably caught you off guard there, but if you have one, let's have it. I think a hot take is um, this team is going to live and die by the three. I don't know how hot that is, though. <laughs> but but Bridget. <laughs> uh, but but last year, um, we had a huge regression, and I'm going to tell you first about uh, Andrew Taylor here. In three-point percentage, uh, he dropped from 41.6 in 2021 to last year 32.8 from behind the arc. And here is a much worse take on that uh, same thing is, let's see here, Tavion Kinsey in uh, 20 and 21 was at 41.3. And he dropped to 18.3% from three-point land last year. Now, we're talking about bringing a guy in, uh, in Kerfman, that we're excited about that shoots 40%. We had those two guys, starters this year, one year removed, were both shooting 41% from mm-hmm. three. Now, they didn't shoot the volume that uh, Kerfman shot, but we were deadly and dangerous. And we just cannot do what we did last year. So the hot take part of this is we could have a very, very good team. Or if we are shooting like we shot last year, again, I think a lot of those problems have been taken care of, but it's going to be a long season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We do expect, I mean, I guess you could categorize it as exponential growth in the cat in the wins column. But yeah. we, we expect to see a sizable increase in overall team wins based on the moves that were made in this offseason and how this team is coming together. Look, my hot take, I don't know how hot it is because, again, I don't know a lot about Sunbelt basketball, right? I don't think too many people at this point do that are new to this conference. Uh, and we were picked preseason number six, right smack dab in the middle of the road for this conference. And I think, I mean, again, I don't know how hot this is, but I think Marshall finishes in the top three uh, when it's said and done. I think they are a contender, you know, to be a Sunbelt champion, make a deep run in a Sunbelt conference tournament. And if they catch fire at the right time, most like, you know, when we talk about with our runners and things and peaking at the right time, then they can win it all. I'm not going to project that they could, that they will win it all, but I think if they catch the right team on the right day and and they're in the right, uh, level of heat from their shooting they can win it all they can go toe-to-toe with anybody in this conference there's nobody they can't beat and i kind of expect that that could be a uh, a situation and we'll talk about it you know a little bit more with the record and everything on the ceiling and 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 floor but um yeah i mean espn.com you and i talked about this right before this pick them as the sleeper uh in the sunbelt conference and a lot of it's going to be with how do these new pieces fit. We're talking about uh, two new starters that are brand new to the team, uh, one via transfer and one via recruiting. And one of the first people off the bench is um, a, a new, a true freshman. So 
there's some unknowns, but the potential, like you said earlier, could definitely have them, uh, if not finishing uh, pre or regular season, uh, number one in the conference, winning the conference championship and going to the dance. Yep, it it could happen. And you you the one last thing I want to talk about before we get into the record is you said, you know, two new starters and then potentially your first guy off the bench. So let's say he's, you know, first couple, let's say seven players. You're that's three of seven. That's almost 50%. And if he's your first guy off the bench, that's 50% of your team. That's a newcomer. So there's mm-hmm. a lot that has to start jiving, you know, for it to go, to go really right. But mm-hmm. that's why you have coaches that coach and, and, you know, they're paid to put these guys in a position to best serve the overall team goals. Look, let's move into the schedule and uh, try to wind this down here. Uh, Hurd's got 31 total games, not counting Sunbelt, conference championships, tournament type thing, or any other postseason appearances. 17 of those 31 games will be at the Cam Henderson Center in the regular season. Uh, We've talked in previous episodes again about how the out-of-conference schedule is quite underwhelming. There is not a real opportunity to get a marquee victory against one of those teams that you just – Think about whoever those teams are when you think, oh, that's a marquee win. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about an overall record that you see from a, you know, bird's eye view, a floor and a ceiling like you did with the football program. But I guess we we have to talk about the out of conference, right? Your marquee games on the road. You're basically your marquee game on the road is against Duquesne. Now, Duquesne's a decent team, but that's not one that you look at and go, wow, that would raise sure. some eyebrows if you win that. Yeah. You know, that's not yeah. like going into Louisville and winning, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and you're out of conference home slate, your two marquee games, which important to Marshall from a regional standpoint, are also games that don't make you go, holy moly, those are big time. And of course, yeah. that's I'm talking about Moorhead State and uh, Ohio University, both coming to the Cam Henderson Center in the out of conference. Uh, two quality opponents, don't get me wrong. Uh, two big wins for regionalized fan bases, don't get me wrong. But not anything that's going to move the national needle and go, wow, look what Marshall did that you know this this week so given that you know given what we know the schedule looks like given what the Sun Belt did to us (laughs) in the freaking uh conference slate with the long road trips and the not a decently long homestand and all that kind of crap uh let's talk floor ceiling and most likely what you think your record's going to be so I think a floor would have to be somewhere around 16 and 15 uh still with a winning record but nothing too impressive um, nearly 500 ball for the entire year, losing some games that we should have won, squeaking out some wins that, you know, might've been questionable. I think the ceiling would be more around 23 and eight, um, of beating some teams that so far have been projected to finish above us in conference play, uh, having a very good home record and, uh, making a, a long run in that conference uh, championship, uh, if not bringing it home. You know, I'm not suggesting yeah. that, that the ceiling is, you know, we can't win the conference championship, but I, I think the ceiling at least has us playing long into that conference and not, not uh, getting kicked out in the first game. I think uh, overall I would say expectation maybe 20 and 11. Okay. So you see – Marshall being a winning team at worst. At worst. And I think a lot of that has to do, I mean, the strength of schedule in the out of conference is just not there. Yeah. Uh, we, we've we got some that, 
we're going to be in trouble, I think, if we don't come out with a very good record going into conference play, because it will mean that we have drastically underperformed what we should be able to do. So I'm expecting us to go into conference play with a very, very good record. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And that lends itself to what I just said. You don't have any of those marquee type opponents. So you would look at that and think we should be able to beat everybody on that schedule in the out of conference. We should be able to run the table there. I mean, should, are they? No, of course not. They're not going to go undefeated in the out of conference. Hope they do, but that's just, that's kind of unlikely and unrealistic to think that, but Mm -hmm. every game is winnable. Let's put it that way. Yep. Um, One of the big caveats of joining the Sun Belt is that the other teams that came along with us, (laughs) we brought some good basketball programs over from Conference USA. And Madison's not really any slouch, but, you know, it doesn't get any easier when you're going to have to face the old dominions of the world. They're very competitive year in and year out in basketball. And Mm -hmm. Southern Miss, of course, has given us fits over the years. So um, the perception of Sunbelt basketball as a conference should have raised a step or two with the uh, the newfound look of of the conference makeup. So this will be an exciting and um, fun season to pay attention to. Of course, we'll have more on basketball. This isn't all we're doing here for the basketball season. We'll 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 dive into that as games get going. But the season's going to start kicking off. When's it? When's it tip off? Tuesday. 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 Yeah. And I, I'd like to remind everybody that we will be giving away, the Thundercast will be giving away two tickets, at least two tickets, because we have two, uh, to every men's and women's home basketball game. We uh, bought season tickets for both sports in an effort to get more herd fans to the game. So pay attention to those contest tweets to, and, and Facebook posts. They generally go out a couple of days before the game. And um we appreciate uh, all the folks that are, you know, going to the games that win our that uh, win our tickets because that's the point. You know, we want people there. I've got a really good uh, story, real quick. Okay, and uh, it, it's about those tickets. And I reached out to someone. You were at work last night, uh, yesterday evening, and I uh, reached out to someone to because they had won the drawing. They I they didn't see it until they were already inside the cam. And uh, I had been trying to find someone else to go as a backup and it just, it was falling through people's schedules. They could not go. Um, That person reached back out to me and I don't have their permission to use their name. So I'm not going to, but um, they reached back out to me and said, Hey, I'm sorry. I just saw this. And I'm like, Oh, it's no problem. And he said, do you want me to try to give them away? I can try to find somebody. And uh, I said, well, if you're, not in there already they're still open you know and he said no i'm i mean i'm already inside inside he walked outside and found someone that was coming into the game and said do you need tickets i won tickets but i've already bought them and had that person text me so i could give them tickets and everything so for the november 14th home opener i have already given those tickets away I gave them to that guy because he left his ticketed paid seats and went outside to try to find someone to give these tickets to so our seats could go to someone. And I just thought that effort was great. He had already won anyway, but Mm -hmm. the circumstances of not checking the phone. So that one game this year, uh, we will not be uh, drawing because that person has already been given the tickets. And I just thought that was a great story. Man, our listeners are the greatest our followers on social media are the greatest. And uh, I just thought that was very cool. 
Yeah, that is a really, really cool story. And that tells, that'll let you know. See, kindness does not go unnoticed here by the Thundercast. We appreciate uh, the added extra effort for making that happen just to ensure that our seats, our seats that we weren't going to use, that our giveaways went to use. So yeah. we we were we are going to reward that kindness and already have. So congratulations. That was an awesome, cool story. Um, if you're hearing this, you know who you are. We appreciate the extra effort, and we're glad that we could get you some seats to the home opener. Yeah. Uh, but Russ, look, it's time to take it out of here. Uh, we've got a football game that we're going to be playing in a couple of days. I got to get this thing edited and posted. And now you have a Marshall season, basketball season, um, forecast or breakdown or however you want to look at it. So let's have it and take us out of here. All right. As usual, whether you see us at the dot, whether you see us at the vet, whether you see us at the Joan, whether you see us traveling to ODU for an away game, whether you see us at the cam, hopefully hitting 45% from three. No matter where you see us, we're going to be shouting, go herd. Go herd. It's the Thundercast. We'll see you next week. Later.